And we are on our way. We want to talk about the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. John is sitting on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he's been exiled there. He's been taken to this place because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those are the two reasons he's there. But it's a good thing, isn't it? Because what happened? While he's sitting there, he received the revelation. Yes, yeah, she shouts. He goes, I don't leave my jacket here. Amen. It's for the revelation of, of, of Jesus Christ. He gave him the revelation of Jesus. And uh, he said some really interesting things to them. And I want to stay today on one thing. He said to him while he sits there, he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who was, who is, and is to come. That's what he said to him. That is the platform. One of the most brilliant statements in the Bible is that statement. The Old Testament, which is the shadow of Christ, comes together and it meets the New Testament, which is the substance of Christ. Let it be known, we are not living under the Old Testament anymore. We look into the Old Testament and we look at the shadow and forecasting the one who came and his name is Jesus Christ. That one, that man, the, the son of man came and he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he said some interesting things there. And one of the things he said, and we're going to talk about that today, he said to him, I have the keys of Hades and death. I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, I know some people just read over that and don't get an understanding. Yet, these are two words that most people in the world fear the most. And sometimes people read over something because they don't want to dwell on it, because they fear it. But the Bible says that you as a child of God should have none fear but the fear of God. Am I right? I'm not asking you for a yes and no, I know I'm right. Because that's what the Bible says. But these two things, people fear death. And people fear Hades, or in other words, hell. They fear that. But they don't want to stand still and read about it and understand it. Yet, this is a truth statement of Jesus Christ. And we're going to spend some time, and I must confess this morning... When I finish preaching on a Sunday and I start preparing for the next Sunday, you know, the words start working through me during the week. Wherever I go, I get in my car, I go to the office, I work, I call. Consistently, the Word of God is going on in my mind and my heart for this Sunday's message. So the Lord is already preparing me on a Sunday afternoon for next Sunday. And I must confess, you know, I thought it was just going to be one message to say the keys of Hades and death, and I'm going to talk about Hades and death, and within 40 minutes we can all go home. But guess what? <laughs> It doesn't work that way. So I was sitting there, preparing yesterday, sitting in my study, reading, praying, putting the words, baking the presentation. And at one stage I said, Lord, I can keep these people here for two hours. Now I know you all look at the day out there and say, Pastor, it's a really, really good day out there. I can't sit here for two hours. Well, you should be able to sit here for four hours. So I'm only, I'm going to this up in two parts. So we're going to take one week longer before we get to the churches. But brothers and sisters, my prayer is to God that He speak to you through this. He says to John on that island, He says to him, I've got the keys of Hades and death. Now keys, the keys that you hold in your hand, is the representative of control and authority control and authority over something or over someone. Case of example, if I give you my keys to my home, I give you the control and the authority to go into my home. If you turn up at my front door and you've got the keys, and you put the keys into the lock and you open it up, it gives you the authority to go into my house. It gives you the control to go into my house. If you turn up there and you don't have a key and you want to get in, how can you get in? You can knock on the door, but nobody's home, but you want to get in. What do you do? Some people kick it open. 
they go slam, boom, in. Do they have the authority to be there at that point in time? No, I can call up the police and I say, stop harassing people about COVID and come and catch this thief. I didn't say that just, did I? I, I, I? My apologies. I will just tell them and say, come and catch this person because he's got no authority to be in my house. He's got no control in my house. And the same work in a prison, isn't it? What happens in a prison? You see, the prison guard has got authority over the prisoner. And how do, we, how do we show his authority? He's got keys. And he puts him in a jail. And what does he do? He locked the jail. Now, do, has the prisoner got the keys? No. So the moment that the prison guard goes and he gives him the key, that prisoner has got the right to use the keys and open the door. Am I right? And then if he opens the door and he walks out, he'd say, okay, maybe the prison guard has got a, a broken elbow like I'm still walking for many years with and his army saw that day. And he goes, yeah, man, I can't open this door. I give you the keys and you the authority to open the door. He's not going to catch in the guy and throw him to the ground. No, no, he gave him the authority. Now, if that prison guard breaks that door open with force, he's in trouble. The same principle is here that we see when we see the word keys in the Bible. When you see the word, and we're going to look through a few of them quickly, when you see the word keys, it represents control and authority. Say it with me, control and authority. If you understand that, you will understand what Jesus said. And you will understand the passages I'm going to take you to now. It gives you control and authority over it. Now, first of all, let's look at the key of authority. We find a really interesting passage here in, in the book of Isaiah chapter 22. Here is a man by the name of Eliakim. They were two servants of Hezekiah, Zepna and Eliakim. Now, Zepna wasn't a good servant. Zepna didn't go according to the ways of God, but Eliakim did. These two servants, they were serving the king and... and Zechariah, and what happened? The Lord spoke to the prophet and he said to them these words in Isaiah chapter 22. He says, the keys or the key of the house of David. What does key mean again? Control and authority. He says, in fact, if you go and read that chapter, he says, to Elihakim, I am going to give the key of House of David. What is he going to give Eliakim? He's going to give him authority and he's going to give him control over the house of David. That is an authority position he puts himself in. And the only one who can give that is God. And he says to him, I will lay that on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. So at that point in time, Eliakim has got the keys, the control and the authority over the house of David. No one else. So here we see a key of authority. But we also see another one, which is the key of the gospel. And I want to spend just a little bit of time here as I hurry on to get to talk about death, because this is one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible. Look at this verse here. Matthew 16, 19. This happened just after Jesus asked his disciples, who does the people say I am? You remember that passage? And then he turns to them, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And he turns to him and he says, it's the Holy Spirit that opened that up to you by Simon by Jonah. And then right after that he says, on this rock I will build my church. Meaning on the Petra, on Jesus Christ. He will build the church on that foundation. It's not the Pope who sits in Rome. Sorry to burst that bubble. It's not him. He's not the representative of Peter going down the line. But here he says to him, listen to this now. And I will give you the keys, authority and control, of the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever wondered what it means? Because that's a massive responsibility. Is he in fact saying to Peter, Peter, 
you will have the sole responsibility and authority and control to open up heaven and close it so that people can go in and not go in. Is that what he's saying? Yet people preach that and there's a lot of people who believe that. And they walk around as if they've got this superpower or something. They've got but nothing because they don't understand the scriptures. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. Oh boy. <laughs> that verse. And then you get people walking around, Satan, I bound you and I bound you in the name and I bound you and I bound you. And you say, where did you get that? Well, it says it right there. That's not what it means. It does not what it means. But we understand now what the keys is. First of all, we know that keys open a door. That's what it's used for. And Peter opens the door of the gospel. This is why, this is how you apply the scripture verse to, to what Jesus said. He gives him the key of heaven. What does it mean? It can open and shut. And the key is the gospel. This is what he gave him. Nothing else. No superpower or anything. The gospel is the only way that a man can be saved. Let me say it again. The gospel is the only way that you will get to heaven. There is no other paths to heaven. There is no path through Buddha. There is no path through Allah. There is no path through whatever religion you think. Jesus Christ is the only way. But it's true. And if you haven't got a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you think you can live just a nice life and be a nice guy or a nice gal, it's not going to work. You have to come to Jesus Christ. It's the gospel is the key into heaven. And that day when he came to, to Peter, he says, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven I give unto you. And what is that? To go and preach the gospel to the nations. And if you preach the gospel, I'm, I'm using that key here today. I've been using that key for the last 26 years. I've been using the same key that Peter got. What did I do? I preached the gospel. I preached the gospel. I preached the gospel. How many people got saved under the ministry that I preached? I don't know. And let me just tell you, I don't worry about that because I don't count. God counts. 2 Corinthians, Peter writes to this church in, in Corinth. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas, to do what? To preach Christ's gospel. What was opened? What opens a door? Keys open the door. When the door opened for him there, he received the authority. And what did he receive? receive also? The control to do what? To preach the gospel. This is, uh, let me just say, I mean, so many people preach so many stuff, but they don't, and there's so many followers who just walk because everybody walks there. This is what this passage means, the keys of the kingdom of heaven is the gospel. He says, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. You see, when Peter preached, he opened up the door to the Jews here Jesus was talking to Peter and to the apostles. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What did he do? He opened the door for the Jews in Acts chapter 2. What happened? After, Pente after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came down, what happened? He stood up, filled by the Holy Spirit. And what did he preach to them? Stories. Did he give them the ordinance of the elders or of the Pharisees or, or the scribes? Or did he tell them nice little stories to make them feel good? Or did he say to them, I'm going to get you into the synagogues and I'm not going to offend you? He offended them with the gospel. Let me tell you this morning, the gospel of Christ is an offense to the world. It was an offense to me before I got saved. But he opened up the door to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. In, and to the Sumerians, remember in Acts chapter 8. 
when they sent him down there and there's these Sumerians and there's this man Simon who wanted to pay money for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what did Peter say? He said, repent. Repent. This is what it is. Churches don't want to preach this anymore because the pews gets empty. It's a feel-good, washy, popcorn, whatever kind of message these days. And then he opens the door to the... <laughs> Hallelujah. He opened up the door to the... To us, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Remember when he went out to the centurion and he preached the gospel. So you have to understand the keys gives you authority and control. And this is what happened in that particular passage. Look at Acts chapter 14, 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God has done with them and that he had opened what? A door. What do you need to open a door? keys. What do you get when you authority and control? And he says that God gave them the authority and the control of faith to the Gentiles. Look at this. Faith to the Gentiles. And this is the same door that you will see open in the church of Philadelphia in chapter 3 verse 8. So there's two keys already I quickly showed you. One was the key of authority which was given to Eliakim. And the second one is the key of the gospel. And now we come to the keys of death and Hades. Remember, keys is authority and control. Now Jesus comes to John and he says, I have the keys of Hades and death. What does Jesus have over Hades and death? Authority and control. The Bible is easy, isn't it? It's easy. If you just spend time and let the Holy Spirit teach you. In Psalm chapter 68 verse 20, I find this a fascinating scripture verse. He says, our God is the God of salvation. Salvation brings life. Salvation brings life. He says, our God is a God of salvation. If somebody asks you when you walk in the street, who is your God? Just tell them. Say, my God is a God of what? Salvation. And to God, the Lord, belong. Everybody say belong. belong. Escapes from death. I love it. The contrast here. It is so thick. You can't miss it. He says, my God is a God of salvation, which in itself is life. And then he says, to him belongs the escapes from death, the opposite of death. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 is where Jesus now talks to him and he says, and it's, it's really great. You see, the Bible is meticulously written by God through man. Why would John sit there and write the words exactly in this order? And then right after that, he writes what Jesus says next. While he was just spinning down what Jesus says, he says, I am he who lives and was dead. What things is that? He who lives. What things is that? Present. What things is that? Was dead. And behold, I am. What things is that? Alive forevermore. Amen. So he goes in, and just before he tells him about the keys of Hades and death, he says, this is, the subs this is now proving my truth statement. I am he who am present with you. I was dead, but I'm alive. So I've got authority and control over something. And he says, I have the keys of Hades in death. Now what does this mean? And again, I started off with death. And we're going to talk about death today. And I wanted to add in Hades today, but it was going to be too long. Too long. So first of all, what does this mean? When Jesus says, keys of Hades in death. What does it mean? And again, I want to drill it into you. Keys is control and authority. Now, Hades is a holding place. Remember that. It's a holding place. And death is a condition. So, Jesus says to him, I have the authority and control over the holding place and over the condition in that holding place. This is why Jesus uses it first. Hades 
And what do you find in Hades? You find death. You find a, a, a holding pattern there. And this is what he says to him. He says, I have got this. Now there is two kind of deaths the Bible talks about. First of all, there's a physical death. And it's really interesting that we preach it from a funeral home. Did I, did I say that like one of those people who operate a funeral home? You see, death is a separation. Death always separates. It doesn't bring together, does it? Oh yeah, but wait a minute, preacher, you know, when we come into the funeral home, when we come into this place, we, we gather all, you know, they all sit here. No, no, there's a separation between the departed and the people who sit here. And that's sad for the people who are still alive and can think. It's no longer sad for the person who's, who's passed away. But there's another separation, and that's a separation between the spirit and the soul, which is separated from the physical body. Now, this is an easy one to explain, and it's also the one that people fear the most. It's death. If you talk to young people about death and you look in their eyes, you can see the fear coming up. When you talk to older people who's moved on in their lives, who comes closer to that date, you can see the fear coming up in their eyes. And everybody who sits in this place knows death. Because you had a family member somewhere who passed away. And you've experienced that. So where did this start? Where did this death start? In Genesis chapter 3 verse 19, he says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That tells me that, brother and sister, if you do not believe in the rapture, God bless your heart, I do. But if, if he tarries to come, if he's not coming in the rapture in the next five, let's call it 30 years, I think it's sooner, I think it's going to be sooner, but let's say, let's just talk today, because, you know, I remember 30 years ago when I became a pastor, everybody said the rapture is going to happen next week, and I was getting ready and it didn't happen. I'm not trying to make a joke out of them, but let's say, because our time is not God's time, let's say it takes another 40 years, the chances is very good I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm sorry to say, you'll have to find another preacher. But here's the thing. This tells us that we will return to dust. The day is coming that you will return to dust. And there's a separation between what's inside of you and this body. And this is what people fear. I said it again. You see, when we were born, we started to die. You say, what? What? That little baby is then, the whole life is ahead of them. No, no. The moment you are born, you're starting to die. Because you were born into it. Uh, Paul says to the church in Romans, he says in Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from what? From this body of death. Now, listen. Paul was saved, wasn't he? He wasn't talking about his spiritual body. Yes, he wanted his spiritual body to be saved from what? From his physical body, the body of death. Each one of us carry within us the stench of death. The stench, the stench of death. We do. I know you don't want to talk about it. I know you ignore it because you're afraid, but somebody has got to talk about it. And you have to deal with that fact that one day the day is going to come for you. You know what is so wonderful in my life? I remember as a young man, I couldn't even drive past at night a graveyard. I remember we were living in a place called Stillfontein in South Africa, and it's 10 kilometers from Klaxdorp. I know these names, is just strange names to you. 
but my sister got a job in the hospital in Klaxdorp. She was still living in her house, and my mom had to take her every time for a shift and go and pick her up, and she worked night shift. And I remember that we were driving. There were two roads leading to Klaxdorp. The one is the front road, which went through the farms, and the back one. The back one was closer to the hospital. So my mom at night always decided to go down that road. And one of my biggest fears as a young man is what happens if the car breaks down because there's a big graveyard next to the road on the back road. And we would drive down there. And my biggest fear was what happens if we get a flat tire there? It's only my mom, myself, and my sister. And she comes back the same way. Then it's only the two of us. And I've got to change the tire. What happens if we stop there and we run out of fuel? So every time I said, Mom, how much fuel is in the car? We can't stop there. And then what happened is when we drive past the place, I would sit right upright in the back seat. But once I see those trees, man, I'm down on the seat. <laughs> true story, true story. I mean, <laughs> preaching from here, I would, what's going on here, you know? Just, you know, is there a sound coming out? You know, these things, but brother and sister, let me give you some good news here today. Look at Jesus' words. Look at them. He says, I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I'm alive evermore. I have the keys of Hades and death. And a, a wonderful thing happened in my life. Wonderful thing. The Lord saved my soul, and he dealt with that in my life. I no longer fear it. And then he called me into ministry and I had to sit next to people's dead beefs and I could see when they depart into the other side. I was sitting next to a few people that I, I had to sit there and hold their hands sometimes. That doesn't freak me out anymore. Why? Because I know the life giver. I know the one who's got control and authority over death. I know him. And because he has got a control and authority over it, I trust him. I trust him with everything that I have. I love it when the psalmist writes here in Psalm 39 verse 4, Lord, make known my end, and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Do you know how frail you are right now sitting there? I know. It's a taboo subject for a lot of people. So this is physical death. Then we have a spiritual death. There's two deaths here. I want you to understand this. It is also called the second death in the Bible. The second death. You see, this is where the spirit separates from your physical body. There's a spirit when, when Adam was born, when Adam was made born, I apologize for that, some people over the line will listen to that and go, you see there he is, error, he said Adam was born, no, no, he was created, okay, I corrected it, so when he was created, he was perfect, the spirit of God could commune with him, and they could talk with one, but once sin entered into his life, there was a separation from God, this is when a person is alive physically, but he's dead spiritually, and we walk in a world full of walking corpses. Yeah? Don't ask me, go and ask the Jews. They look down upon the Gentiles. And even if they touch the Gentiles, they feel they're unclean. Why? Because he's dead. He's spiritually dead. But it's true. If you are sitting here this morning in this place... I'm sorry to say to you, I told you it's an offense. If you are not born again by the Spirit of God, if you're not a child of God, truly a child of God, I'm not just saying going to church, but if you sit here this morning and you are not saved by the grace of God, you are dead. You are but just breathing corpse. You are walking, you're a dead man walking. This is the second death that he talks about. And this is one that's harder to accept. And one that people don't care about. Am I right? You look into the world and care about it. You go to them and you preach the gospel and they go, what are you talking, mate? What's this, mate? Bro? <laughs> China? What are you talking about, China? That's a South African phrase, by the way. What are you on about? 
Well, I am on about and to tell you today that you are dead. You might be alive, but you're dead. You're inside dead. You're a walking corpse, and you need Christ to make your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes to this church. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. By the way, I've got a lot of scripture verses, but I cut it down. So he says you were, he made you alive. So if he made you alive, what were you before? Dead. But is he talking to, did he go into the, the, the cemetery and talk to the gravestones? Did he come into a funeral home and talk to corpses? Who did he talk to? To people who were physically alive. Like you. They could hear him. They were breathing. He said to them, you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, where did we die? Again, I go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But Jesus came to Adam and he says to him, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And what did Adam do? He listened to his wife, he disobeyed God, and he ate of that fruit. And what happened? I always tell people this. I always tell them, this is a proof that there's two devs here. Because here stands Eve, here stands Adam. And Eve says to Adam, take, it's good, I promise you, nothing happens. And he's a coward. Why? Because he let her bite first. And then he took it. And they looked at each other, and nothing happened. Yeah? Nothing happened. Come on, tell me. Did Adam fall to the ground and did the Bible say he immediately dropped to the ground and died? Did it? Did Eve drop to the ground immediately? No. They look at each other and go, nothing happened. But it is when they heard the voice of God. But it is when they heard the voice of God that they realized something is terribly wrong. What was wrong? They were hiding from God because of their sin, and that separation took place. And from that day, the Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Everybody say all men. So it doesn't matter if your parents were Christians where you were born to Christian parents. It doesn't matter whether your dad was a missionary and your mom was a missionary and you were born to the missionary parents. It doesn't matter which church you attend. It doesn't matter what uh, you know, pastor you are following. It all doesn't matter. You were born and death is in your body. Spiritual death. This is a terrible message. Talking about death. It's just death. Physical death, spiritual death. But you have to hear this. You have to hear this. Because there's a serious warning I want to give you today. Serious warning. And I'm glad to see there's nobody who's fallen asleep yet. Because this is now the time where you have to intentively listen. And you need to ask God to speak to your heart. Because this is serious. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said to them, And do not fear those who kill the body. Do we fear those who kill the body? Do we? Oh, you are so brave sitting here and saying no. <laughs> we are so brave. No, I don't. Go and ask people in China who die for this. Go and ask people in Iraq, Iran, who are killed for that. Go and ask them. You know what? They pray for us. Because they say in the Western world the church is asleep. Oh, just come in here and lie down, church. We're going to give you nice, soft preaching. Because if we give you nice, soft preaching, you're going to like me. You're going to pay your money to me. I'm going to live a nice life. And I'm going to say I'm in the ministry. And do-do-do-do-do-do, baby. You're okay. Everybody's going to go to heaven. That's the state of the church in the Western world. Do la do, do la baby, do la do do. But it is so true. Go and speak to the church who's persecuted, and we say to them, brothers.
pray for you. We pray that God give you. They say, no, 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 no. We pray for you that God would wake you up. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, everybody say but. Sharp contrast, rather fear who? Him. Who's that? It's a capital letter. Who's that? It's God. He says, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You need to hear that today. Do not fear these people. They can cancel you. They can kill you. But then comes judgment. And you stand before the one who's got the keys of Hades and death. Revelation chapter 2 verse 11. The one who conquers will not be heard by the what? The second death. Do everybody know, understand what is the second death? It's the spiritual death. Do not worry about the physical death, he says. He says, you who overcome. Then he goes on Revelation 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Everybody say first resurrection. Don't worry. I knew you were going to ask me what it means, so I've prepared for that. Look at this now. He says, blessed. What does it mean, blessed? Happy. Joyful. Be joyful. And holy. What does that word holy mean? Separated from the world. Be holy for I am holy. He said, blessed and holy is the one, is who? Who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So there's no key for anybody over that. If you are part of the first resurrection, the second death has got no control and power over you, but they will be priests and God of Christ, and they will reign for Him for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, that's Hillary Clinton's favorite word, isn't it? The detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the what? The lake? Everybody say lake. That burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. My brother sings so many of his songs, the lake of fire. That's the lake we're talking about here. The second death. And let me just say, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he wasn't resuscitated. <laughs> he was resurrected. There's a difference. There's some churches who preach this, the resuscitation of Jesus Christ. He was resurrected. And he has got the keys of the death. He says it himself, I've got the keys of death. If he was just resuscitated, you know what it means, you know? He was, there's somebody falls over, we give him CPR and we, we bring them back. And now they live. That's resuscitating them. If he was only but resuscitated, he didn't have the keys. He was dead and he was resurrected to be able to have the keys. Now there's, because you've asked, I've prepared for this. There's two resurrections. You see that? There's two deaths. Births, did you know that? There's two births. You are born and you are spiritually born. And then there's two resurrections. Two distinct resurrections. That of the just, that's the first resurrection. And that of the unjust, that's the second resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. And many of those who sleep, and let me just say, let me just say, when he uses the word sleep here, it doesn't mean that you go into a trance and nothing happens. I will touch on that next week. You need to be here next week if you want to see the whole thing. Because next week I'm going to show you that when you die, you don't go into a sleep and you sleep until Jesus comes back or the white throne happens. There is things that happen in the other world which we can't see now. You will become alive. You will know. You will be able to talk. You will be able to think. You will be able to see. You will be able to recognize. That's next week. Okay, this was an advertisement for next week. But just hang in there. So this is it. He says, those who sleep because in the Old Testament why do he use the word sleep because in the Old Testament they didn't know what we know now how privileged are we they don't know Jesus wasn't here Jesus is 
teach the disciples in the Old Testament. They had the prophets, and they had to make they had to make it out what happens. So in the Old Testament, when somebody dies, they put him in the grave, and it looks as if he's sleeping. I've been sitting next to people who passed away. And honestly, when I look, I look at them, it looks as if they are sleeping. Am I right? Have you seen that? If you look at a body, somebody's dead, and you look at the corpse, you look at them, it feels as if any moment they can open up their eyes and talk to you. Is it right? In the Old Testament, that's all they had. That's all. So through their traditions, they go, they are sleeping. The body is sleeping, but the soul is not sleeping. I'm glad I cleared that up for you. He says, as many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life. You see, that's the first resurrection, the just. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. You don't want to be that. I just gave you the warning. John chapter 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, Jesus says. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. When will that happen? Toot, 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 the trumpet. Yes. When, when will you hear the trumpet? The second coming or the rapture? The rapture. Hallelujah. And it is a trumpet. But he says it is like a trumpet. That's going to be the voice calling his children. Man, I'm waiting for that day. But I am still saying, Lord, hold back. Because there's still souls that need to be saved. He says it right here, he says, For when they hear his voice and come out, those who have got, done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And that judgment seat will happen in the book of Revelation chapter 20 at the end. The rest of the dead did not come to life until, everybody say until. What does the word until means? Well, it means until yet to come until the thousand years were ended if you don't understand what the thousand years is that is when jesus christ comes back after the second coming set up his kingdom in jerusalem and for a thousand years he will rule on this earth it will be perfect there will be no COVID. okay and they will come and they will serve him like it's been prophesied in the bible at the end of that thousand years what will happen? He says, until the years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Now, he's not saying the first resurrection is this. The first resurrection is when the trumpet sounds and we will meet him. And what will happen? That's the first resurrection. We will be with him. Then there's a second resurrection. And it's going to be for the white throne judgment. Because Jesus says it himself in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power no power jesus said it himself i've got the keys of death so wonderful so wonderful now that's the warning that's where i'm going to stop today talk to you about death i want to say to you today friend if you fear death come to god come to christ Lay your heart at Him. He has got the authority and the control over death. He's got that. And He knows your ways. He knows the day when you were born, and He already knows the day when you will die. And He already knows whether you will be raptured out, if not. How do I become part of the first resurrection? I've been blessed this week to see, and I'm just sharing it with you because I don't want you to see the people just in this hall and think this is the only people who hear the message. I've, I've been blessed to share the message on, on a channel which is called SoundCloud. And then I can actually see and go in and see who listens to the messages in what parts of the world. I'm sharing this to you to give glory to God. And because I'm going to share the gospel now in the next five minutes, ten minutes. If you are sitting in this place, this is for you. How do I become part of the first resurrection? How do I make sure that the second death has got no power and control over me and hand that power and control over to Jesus Christ? 
you come to the cross, you come to the gospel. And I say this for some of the people who will hear my voice maybe all over the world through SoundCloud. If you are sitting wherever you are in your house, if you're sitting there and you say, preacher, I'm not sure, I want you to make sure. We are living in feeble times. You are living in a feeble body. Things can happen any moment. And let me just say, the moment you blow out the breath, your last breath, you've had your chance. You can't say, but God is a loving God. He will take all in consideration what I've done through life. You have to do what I'm going to show you now. While you know. First of all, how do I become part of this? First of all, you admit that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. You just admit that. Some people will not admit that. They are so arrogant and prideful and boastful that they say, no, I don't need a Savior. I can look after myself. But the Bible says in Romans 3 verse 10, none is righteous, not one. doesn't try how hard you try to be righteous. You can't be. No one understands and no one seeks God. We are living in a society who does not seek God. I don't know about you, but I've been there when babies were born. I was there, and when they came out of the womb, it's not as if the first words they go, praise the Lord, I'm going to praise you forevermore. No, 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 they cry, and they cry. Why? Because they are selfish. They want to be tend to from birth. And they keep on crying right through their lives. Ah, my nappy is dirty. Ah, I need food. Ah, they just keep on crying. And, and a strange thing happened. Once they eat the age of two years old, they've got an attitude. Have you seen they throw their heads back and they start making funny things on the ground and you look, is that my child? That's surely not my child. That's not the beautiful little baby which I held and cuddled and kisses and blow in it. That's not my child. All over the place and everybody's looking at you and the pressure bolts. No one does good, the Bible says, not one. Even babies don't do good. Who are you to think that you do good? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we see the penalty for that. We see in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is what? Let's see if you've listened today. What death is he talking about there? The second death. We all have sinned and is dead. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You who were dead in your trespasses and sin, he made alive. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, and here comes the good news. First the bad news and then the good news, for the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And secondly, what you do is you confess your sin. You confess. You admit that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And if you understand your sin then you come to God and you confess to Him. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me say that there is no salvation without confession. God's kingdom is not cheap. God's kingdom is not unholy. God will not allow any unholiness into His kingdom. God will not allow any unholiness into His kingdom. He said, when Adam and Eve went out of the Garden of Eden, He set a, an angel there with a flaming sword to protect that Adam couldn't go back again and touch the tree of life. Why will He do it for you? He will not. You confess your sin so that you can be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 8, 18. Though your sins were like crimson and like scarlet, what will He do? He will wash it white than snow, like pure wool. But you have to do something. You have to confess to Him. Not to man. No, you know, I see in Rome now they've got machines where you can go in and put money in and then you confess. I confess. You're confessing to a machine. They're not going to even listen to the confessions. They're just after your money. Don't come to me and confess to me. <laughs> you can't confess to me. You've done nothing to me. 
but you've sinned against God and you confess to Him. And then thirdly, you believe. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one is justified and with the mouth one confess. And then you call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This might be one of the most important sermons that you've heard in your life. And I hope so. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, thank you that we know this morning we can take comfort that when Jesus says, I've got the keys, the control and the authority over death, that we don't have to fear it anymore. That we know, Father, that absent from this world is present with Christ. And Father, I pray, this is serious, there's a serious warning, Father. I pray, Lord, that you speak with hearts this morning. Everybody, you can hear my voice, either today, three months from now, I don't know, Lord. It is you who work your ways. But Father, for the people who is here in my immediate vicinity, I pray, Lord, if there's one person in this place this morning who continue on with their sin and think nobody's knowing, who know that they are sinning, Father, I pray through the Holy Spirit that you will touch that heart to make them realize that the way their life is continuing on they, anything could happen in any moment and they will wake up and be on their way to a place they don't want to be, part of a second death. I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord, that they will find the way to the gospel. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Father, we are looking forward to the first resurrection. When the Bible says we're going to hear your voice and you will call those out of, out of the graves who are part of the first resurrection. As I'm standing here today, I know a few names, Lord. Which from my viewpoint, I might be wrong, Lord, and I hope I'm wrong. But from my viewpoint... That will be a sad day. That will be a terrible day. Father and I don't know yet. I, I don't know what my feelings will be on that day. I don't know whether sadness will grab me or joy to see the Lord, but there might be people in this place this morning whose faces I see who will not share in that joy. Please, Lord. Please, my Lord, have mercy upon their hearts and souls. Father, I'm not here to play church. I'm here to bring your message. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.